Thank you. <clears throat> As you see, let me take you, invite Sonia. We go get you some more water. <clears throat> I don't know why I do. Don't bring my own water every Sunday. Uh, your Bible's open to uh, Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. One of my favorite shows coming up. Now, this most people in here aren't going to remember this. Well, half of you will. One of my favorite shows coming up. Uh, usually, uh, most of you probably did what I did. You, you know, after school, you'd get the bus would bring you home or you'd get a ride home. And, and you had these series. You're supposed to be doing homework until mom or dad got home. But usually there was a series of shows that we would watch, like I Dream of Jeannie and... Gomer Pyle, Batman, but one of <clears throat> one of my favorite was the, uh, and I think it came on in the afternoon. Revelation, what did I say, eighteen? I say that was uh, <clears throat> the show Get Smart, and also I loved Maxwell Smart. I felt like I was much like Maxwell Smart, not very smart, but uh, I don't know if you ever paid attention to the 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 two <clears throat> networks of. Basically, it was good and evil, right? Had good and evil. Thank you, Sonia. Uh, we had uh, the good people <clears throat> were called control, right? Remember? And uh, Agent Maxwell Smart was Agent 86, right? You know him, right? I read it before I came in here. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then his, the girl was uh, Agent 99, and uh, but the the opposing, which which I guess would have been communism or the Russians, but they never said that. This was the '60s. Was chaos. The enemy was called chaos, and chaos had agents. Now we might not call Christianity. You know, we might not call the enemy chaos, but yet to a degree, there is control and there is chaos today, right? from a spiritual perspective. And that, that spiritual battle has been going on for 6,000 years. And of interest to us as we've been studying the Scriptures and studying the last of days, a particular interest to us is how long it's been going on since the Tower of Babel. Because Jesus mentions this new, resurrected, affirming Babylon, this new Babylon that's going to be in control during the tribulation, and when the tribulation comes to an end, he's going to bring judgment, and he calls it Babylon. So there's, there's a religious Babylon. You know, we looked at that for a couple of weeks. The religious Babylon, and that's in, in Revelation 17, this false, this false religion that is taught during the tribulation. Now, I'm going to make some assumptions that you remember how long the tribulation lasts. How long does the tribulation, the whole tribulation last how long? Seven years. And the great tribulation lasts how long? Three and a half. So when we're, <clears throat> when we're learning about, and she's called the great prostitute, so it's a false religion. So it's selling people goods about faith, about maybe how to be saved or, or whatever, or they're okay. The prophets say they're going to say, oh, everything's okay. And this is during the tribulation. Tra rapture's already happened. God's already pouring out His judgments, and you're going to have... You can have these people. It's a false religion. That's why it's called the great prostitute. So during the tribulation, it's called, and it's called the prostitute of Babylon. And Babylon stands for everything opposed to God. All the false doctrine we believe around the world finds its roots in the Tower of Babel. So any 
any false religion, any false doctrine that's on the face of the earth has its roots in what happened at Tower of Babel. And again, this is biblical worldview. This is where you understand your biblical worldview. Speaking of biblical worldview, we're going to the ark, the ark encounter and the creation museum. Let me say it one more time. Uh, and most of you know this, but we're going the 29th. Uh, we're leaving Wednesday, the 29th of December. And coming back Saturday, January the 1st. And as of this morning, we have 15 different families that are, are going, going. And we're excited about that. But we'd like for you to go. And the reason I say biblical worldview is, is they are one of the parachurch ministries that I appreciate because they, are, they defend the Bible from the very first verse. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but if you would like to go, you can just text me, see me, see my wife, and we'll... We'll uh, provide you some, some details. But having a biblical worldview. So if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you've rejected the gospel, you're trusting something else, <clears throat> the roots of your unbelief, hard to believe this, but your roots of your unbelief go all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Because what happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 10 and 11, God re God re you know, they had, He had fled the world because of sin. That not only the sin of man, but the sin of the watchers of the fallen angels. Robbie read about him judging them and binding them in chains of gloomy darkness right now. But so he flooded the world. Man was sin. He flooded the world, judged the whole entire world, saved a family. Noah had faith, and God saved him and his family. Less than two hundred years later, they man rebelled again. And God told them to cover the earth, multiply and spread over the earth. They didn't do it. Nimrod led them to, to build this tower. So God just rejected them. He said, hey, don't, you want me to be your God? You can read it. He, he, it says he divorced them. And then a, about 50 years later, he, he calls Abraham and says, you're going to be, I'm going to marry, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And you're going to be my, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to marry the nation that comes from your loins. That's exactly what he told him. And so God, the God of Israel was the God of all, right? And then Israel was supposed to tell the world about the God of Israel, and they really never accomplished that. But the roots of unbelief, and that's what we're, we find out, that the roots of unbelief go back to the Tower of Babel. Well, not only do the roots of unbelief go back to the Tower of Babel, but the roots of all materialism, of all false belief, everything, that consumerism, materialism, all these things go back to the Tower of Babel. So in chapter 17, the book of Revelation deals with religious Babylon. In Revelation 18, it deals with material or political Babylon. And yes, it seems as if, if you're studying the end of days, <clears throat> that, you, you, again, you have to think now, if our theology or my eschatology is correct, that there will be a rapture and there will be a tribulation following that rapture. And during the tribulation, there will come a man called the Antichrist. Mostly he's called the beast in the book of Revelation, but he, what you and I have always known as the Antichrist, he's also called the beast, will arise. And he will rule the world. He will be a fake prince of peace. He will be a fake Jesus. He will be a replacement. He takes the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. And somehow, some way, through agreements... There will be this ten, this huge European uh, conglomeration of nations that he will lead 
and they will basically rule the world. And it's kind of the one world order. And I hate to tell you this, but I can't find the United States in, in New Testament prophecy. But I know they're in there somewhere, but I can't find them. Most people can't. But, but there's going to be this huge conglomeration of nations, about ten of them. The Antichrist is going to lead all those, and they're going to rule the world. So he's going to be the ruler of the world, right? Now, because he is politically the ruler of the world, when he makes a covenant with Israel, then breaks it in the middle of the tribulation and demands that the whole world take his mark, the whole world starts taking his mark. That's where you find the mark of the beast. But in the midst of that, okay, so there's three and a half years of tribulation. There's a, there's a political and, and military agreement with Israel the first three and a half years. That's how the tribulation starts is they make a covenant with it. The world makes a covenant with Israel, God's people. After three and a half years, the Antichrist goes back to Jerusalem and, and rejects and denies and basically tears up the covenant he made with them. And he, he demands that Israel worship him. And that's called the abomination of desolation. Then from that moment to the next three and a half years, it's called the Great Tribulation. And when you're reading the, when you're reading the book of Revelation, that's when you know the judgments get stronger and wickedness gets stronger. It just gets, it's, it's a great tribulation. There's tribulation and it's bad. But the great tribulation, which the last three and a half years, is, is great. It's wicked. The judgments are horrible. And terrible things are happening on the face of the earth. Now, on top of all of that, it seems as if there's going to be a one city. It might be a nation, but it seems to be a city that's going to be called the New Babylon. Like the, it's going to be the capital of the world. And it's, it's symbolically, it's the symbol of all that's wicked under the Antichrist, right? So when you get to Revelation chapter 18, you read this about the fall of Babylon. Now, so there's going to be a city. Maybe it's where the Antichrist puts, puts up his residency. I, I, I don't know. But it's called the new Babylon. Babylon the Great. And it's fixing to fall. And so you had the fall of the religious Babylon. I know this is a big introduction. You have the fall of the religious Babylon in Revelation 17. And then in Revelation 18, you have the fall of the political or the material Babylon. The material world. You have a spiritual world and a material world. And that's where Revelation picks up and starts talking about the fall of that. Now, let me read just a few verses. I don't want to spend a real long time reading all of this this morning. We'll get to most of it next week. But just read along with me. I'm in... I'm in Revelation chapter 18, and I'm just going to begin reading at verse 1. Do you remember last week I shared with you uh, one of the things that Jesus said? And, he, and this is recorded in, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, so all the synoptic gospel writers recorded it. Remember when Jesus said, this is Matthew 24, 37. It's in Matthew 24, 37. Jesus says, as it was, this is one of the most profound statements I find when it comes to prophecy. And remember, Matthew 24 is when Jesus is teaching on the last days. Now, now, the book of Revelation is the same thing. It's the revelation Jesus gave. It's His revelation, and He's going to let John in on it. That's what the book of Revelation is. So, but Matthew 24, 25 are also texts that describe the end of days from Jesus' lips. Well, in Matthew 24, 37, Jesus says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. At, now think about that. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Now folks, 
in the days of Noah, the Bible describes, matter of fact, in Genesis 6, 5, I'm paraphrasing now. It says, the thought and the intent of man's heart was continually wicked. And folks, Noah preached for hundreds of years and had no converts. But man's heart was, was wicked and continually wicked. There was nothing good about man's heart. And there's tons of other reasons why. But, you know, God eventually judged. Can I ask you, did he judge some people or did he judge all people? All people. When Jesus returns, people that don't know Jesus, is Jesus going to judge part of the world or is he going to judge all the world? All the world. This is not a partial judgment. Everybody, the Bible says there's only one name. This is Acts 4.12. There's only one name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Uh, and we know that how we hear about that, you know, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Paul says in, in Romans, in Romans 10, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So folks cannot be saved until they hear the good news, the word gospel is good news, until they hear the good news that Jesus Christ saves. These children that were baptized this morning heard the good news at some point in time, and they understood that Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners. That's good news, am I right? And that, and that thing, that when the Bible says there's a faith, there's a righteousness. Again, folks, I'm, I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm not righteous. I'm still a sinner. That song, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, I don't sin like I used to, but I'm a sinner. But Christ's righteousness, when I believed back when I was 16, just like for whoever's in here could share the same testimony, the righteousness, when I believed in Him by faith, understanding who He was, the claims on my life, and the consequences of rejecting him. When I came to Christ by faith, his, his history became mine. His righteousness was imputed to me, was placed in me judicially. And so when God looks at me and considers me, I have inherited the righteousness of Christ. This, that's incredible. So that's why the Bible says there's a righteousness by the law. I, I don't want to be judged by the law. I break American laws, much less God's law. I speed, not very much, but I do speed. You know, I just you do things. You're sent, but so you, but God's law. There's a righteous that comes by faith, apart from the law, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ. So, folks, those of you who might be here that are trusting in, in some religion or some. Whatever, some ties to somebody that maybe there's a preacher in your family because you think all that's going to save you or that whatever, your dad's a deacon. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that saves. Faith and faith alone. So salvation, well, anyway, so going back to, to prophecy, I don't know how I chase rabbits, but it, but it happens. But in this, you have this group of people that, that in the last days, these people are going to be judged like it was in the days of Noah. They're going to be unaware of all the wickedness that they're involved in and all the warnings that God's sending them, they're going to ignore. And you know, we, it's interesting, and I, I don't want to regress way back and read all these verses that we've looked at, but <clears throat> every time God would pour out a massive judgment, you know, okay, hold on. <clears throat> I'm up here trying to decide which direction I want to go in because I've only got 12 minutes. Um, and that's, not even, that's not even an introduction for me, is it, Walter? But anyway, so, 
So when you're, when you're thinking about the judgments, God pours out, just think about six. In the tribulation, the Bible says there's seven sealed judgments, and those are the ones Jesus physically unties the seals. So there's seal judgments, then there's trumpet judgments, and there's bold judgments. There's 21 total judgments. But, but to let you know from reading the text, when Jesus unloose, when unlooses the sixth seal, or it may be a stamp seal, but when he opens the seal, all the others are connected to that. So when he opens that seventh seal, it's a done deal. Everything else. But there's 21 different judgments, and, and when they get severe, and these are supernatural judgments, some of the more severe ones, I know three specific occasions, it's like lost man, I'm talking about during the tribulation, not talk about right now, though man is like this right now, man without God is like this. Every time God would pour out a judgment, mankind, rather than repenting and trusting Christ, they stick their fist in the face of God, the God they know is judging them, and they curse God, even though he's judging them, and he's going to judge them more without repentance. I, I feel like that's the days that we're living in now. Uh, but let's look at the fall of Babylon. I just want to show you a couple of things because <clears throat> you can see how our, how our world is going to respond when God brings the final judgment. Let me re remind you, believers in the church, people that are really saved, that have been born again, that really know Jesus, there's an event called a rapture. They've, they've been gone for years because we're, we're raptured way before the tribulation starts. This is at the close of the... We know it's at the close of the tribulation because chapter 19 is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the, it's the celebration of all the saints of all the ages in heaven with Christ. So that's, that's the scene in heaven at the end of the tribulation. So we know chapter, 19, chapter 18 is somewhat the end of the tribulation. So it's describing this city that's representative of, of mankind. It says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority. And, and the earth was made bright with His glory, and He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt, a dwelling place for every unclean bird, a haunt or dwelling place for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. <clears throat> I was thinking about materialism. This was a couple of weeks ago. And, and I was sharing this with one of our men. He uh, was talking about how materialism in America, how it's changed a little, and how they were comparing materialism, the love of things, and, and uh, compared to other nations. And this one uh, survey said that, um, that if, if the whole world w were living, and I put this in quotes, if the whole world were living the American dream, what I mean by that is had houses the size our houses, consume what we consume, you with me, if the whole world lived the American dream, the world would have to be four times the size it is now because of how many things we possess and that it would take that much natural resources to provide the needs of, of, of a world that lived like 
live like us. That's, that was pretty shocking. Also, it's interesting, if you want to study it for yourself, you can go back and read about how, go back to the 60s and, and compare it to like, what are the size of our houses? How many cars we own? And I know we're much more mobile. But all, how much we spend on entertainment and compare it to the 60s, just 40 or 50 years ago. It's, 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 and, it, and you have to be honest. I mean, you know, we, we're even believers. I mean, we, we consume more and more and more. Not all of it's wrong, but some of it's not right. But we consume more and more and more. And then you think about what the Paul's warning in, in Romans 12, where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed. So then we have to decide how much of this stuff that we're getting is worldly. How much of it are, is the world? It says, do not be conformed. That word means to be pressed into a mold. How much of what we are as believers of our life has, has the devil duped us and shoved us into a mold and we're molding our lives after everybody around us and we're not molding it after Christ in obedience and seeking things of the kingdom? It's easily done. Well, all of this materialism... Is there anything anybody's going to take with them when it's all said and done? Are any of the houses millionaires have, are they going to take that with them? No. They're going to leave it all. You know, we, and this, this goes, this really dates me. I'm really getting old, and I, so it dates me. But in the days, long time ago, when I, in my home church, we, we didn't have Elvis Presley, but we had Elvis Presley's uh, cousin. And this was soon after Elvis died. And this young man had gotten saved. And, uh, of course, he was very popular, and he was traveling the United States talking about Elvis. And that was his platform, pretty good platform back in the day. And, and uh, he spoke at our church, and, and uh, he was sharing about he had just been on one of those talks, the Phil Donahue show. <laughs> I tells you how old I am. Good grief, I'm getting old. The fact that I remember it's impressive, Right. Phil Donahue, anybody remember Phil Donahue, right? You bunch of old folks. Anyway, this guy had been on, this cousin, uh, I think it was the first cousin. Anyway, it was, he raised in the home with, with uh, Elvis. Anyway, uh, I'll call his name three days from now when I should remember it. But, uh, but he, was, he was on the Phil Donahue show, and he was telling us this, tran- this, this encounter he had with Phil. Everybody wanted to know how much uh, uh, Elvis had left, and the wealth, you know, so he's died, and now everybody wants to know how much he's, he left on the earth. And it's one of those scenes when the cameras draw in and, and old Phil Donahue leans in his seat and says, everybody wants to know, everybody wants to know, how much did, how much did he leave? And then, you know, they say, we'll be right back with the answer. And they got the commercial. And then sell a few commercials and come back. And what this guy says was just profound. So he, they started all over again. You know, the camera comes in. and So everybody wants to know, how much did Elvis leave? $10 million, $20 million? His name was... Uh, Rick something, another, that's his first name. But anyway, he looks at the camera and he's, he left it all. One of the best lines I've ever heard. He left it all. Well, guess what? When you leave this world, guess what you're going to leave? All of it. By the way, Solomon was bothered by that because Solomon knew when he died, David did too, he knew that un, ungodly people were going to take his wealth and spend it in a way he wouldn't do it. Think about that. When we're leaving this world, do we want ungodly people to do ungodly things with the money that we earn? Think about that. That's a stewardship question. But you're going to leave it all. Well, Babylon is just a reminder. This material Babylon is a reminder of what's going to happen in God's judgment when God judges materialism and worldliness. This is a picture of it. It says it's become a haunt 
for everything unclean and, and every unclean bird. It's, it's demonic. It's infested with demonism. We've already seen that even in chapter 17. For all nations have drunk the wine of the, of the passion of her sexual immorality, verse 3, and the kings of the earth have committed the immorality. And you can tell that all the nations are tied, not just spiritually, that was, that was the false religion of chapter. This is materialism. This is political. All the, it's what it says. All the kings are connected to this Babylon. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, and this is where we finished last Sunday, come out of her, my people. So this is what's amazing. During the tribulation, though the church is gone, God does not leave the world without a witness, right? Isn't that awesome? And we know there's how many Jewish witnesses? 144,000 divided into 12 tribes, even though there's more than 12 sometimes. There's 12,000 tribes. So there's witnesses. There's, there's two great witnesses. Now, they've already been executed. They were killed in the middle of the tribulation. The two great witnesses that could do powerful things. And then we've already met just a few chapters ago that we met the angelic witnesses that fly through the heavens and tell people to repent. They talk about creation, that God made everything, and you need to repent because He's going to judge the world. So... Folks are going to be saved during the tribulation. So the message is to them is to come out of these. And that's, that's the exact same thing. 1 Corinthians says this, the exact same wording is used by Paul to Christians in the first century. Come out from among them, my people, be ye separate. That's exactly what he says to believers. That's, what the script, that's for us. But even during the tribulation, come out from her, my people. Lest you take part in her sins. Lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high in heaven as God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as, as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. A double portion of God's judgment. Uh, he's using this, the phrasing of drinks in those days, whether it was non-alcoholic or alcoholic, to make it go further, they would mix it with water. These judgments are, are unmixed. They're vicious and strong. God's judgments are going to be tough. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her like measure of torment. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mornings I shall never see, weeping and mournings. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. In her mind, this, the, it's so, the world has become so rich and so comfortable over this one world government and this one political power, if you've bought into the mark of the beast, they, they think that this is going to last forever, right? That this is just great. And everybody's bought in. This, this, is, this is the repeat of Babylon. This is really... That's why it's called, it's the repeat of the fall of Babylon. We are talking about that last week. Babylon fell in one day. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. All this is nothing. We'll stop here. 
But you can, we will pick up next week and look at, look at God, the immorality, you can, well, 9 and 10 talk about, and the idolatry. What this wicked Babylon promotes is a life of immorality, all in this materialism. They promote a life of immorality, and they promote a life of idolatry, of finding something else to worship. But I want you to know that all of this is going to come to kneel when Jesus Christ returns. Have you ever checked? I haven't checked on it in the last few months. But have you ever checked on <clears throat> the national debt clock? You ever look at that? You know what I'm talking about? Um, I looked at it. Now, this is dated a little bit, so these figures aren't going to be right on. <clears throat> but our nation goes in debt. $46,000 a second. And you can look at it, and, you know, I don't, I don't have any, it's, I mean, it's $29 trillion, whatever it is. <clears throat> We've got numbers everywhere across that, and that thing is just, I mean, it is flipping. But according to what I, I read, you can't hardly read, you know, calculate it by looking, you have to look at the statistics. It's somewhere around $46,000, $46,000 a second. Now, folks, my sin debt may not be that high. But there's a righteous God that's going to hold every one of us accountable for our sins. Earlier when we were reading this, it says that he's recorded everything. And it says, pay her back double fold for what she's done. God's judgment is brewing. God's judgment is waiting. And God's judgment one day is going to be poured out. That's why, just for a second, how wonderful it is that boys and girls at a young age come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I'm going to be the first to tell you, it's possible that some of the five that we baptized may not have completely understood everything. It's possible. But... But people hearing the, this is the only, listen to me, this Jesus Christ is the only hope for anybody, right? Our enemy, our enemy is not the Democratic Party. Our enemy is the devil. Our enemy, we don't wage, Paul says, we don't wage, with fle- we don't wage war with flesh and blood. But it's principalities and powers Leaders of spiritual wickedness and darkness, those are our enemy. And the only way that we can overcome them is by the preaching of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and by faith and and walking in the Spirit. Let me just share with you just three things that are important to me. And I really wanted to start here, but I wanted to catch up in Revelation. But because these boys and girls were baptized, this is what the Bible says about them. The Bible says that and it's amazing, even though in God's eternal plan, when they, the moment they believed they were put in His body, there's a body of Christ universal. That means in the mind and the spiritual world that God knows, He has a body of all believers. He keeps up with them. But also when somebody gets saved, He commands them to join a local body, right? And it's interesting. There's a big body, and then there's a little body. And then every church is a local body of Christ. Our church is supposed to be demonstrating Christ. There's many members but one body. When these boys and girls, or even young men or young ladies, I've baptized I've baptized somebody that was 80-something one time. But this is what they're saying. I wrote it down. 
you know, of course, we use the metaphors that the church is the body, the church is the building, and the church is the bride. There's many more, but, but it's, and it's corporate. You learn that the Christian life is corporate. Whether it's the, when God places you, He didn't place you by yourself, so He places you in a body. It's a corporate experience. You don't live the Christian life in isolation. That means when you're saved, you're in the church, right? That's exactly what that means. Saved people go to church because God saved them for that very purpose, to put them in the church. Well, here's what they know. Here's what I know when I, when I baptize people. Number one, they understand what it means to lose your life to find it. Think about what Jesus said in John 12. Whoever, whoever loses his life, and you know the life that you had designed for yourself, whoever loses his life, for my sake. If you give up on that life, the life of Babylon, and you follow me, you've really got life. If you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. When you come to Christ by faith and you obey Him through the baptismal waters, that is the beginning of understanding what it means to lose life to find it. Life now becomes following Jesus Christ and being part of a family. You understand the unity of the faith. Paul argues this in Ephesians. The unity of the faith and the bonds of peace. How all these people... that This this for young people don't quite understand this. Because the older you get, you realize everybody's crazy, right? You realize everybody's weird, right? They all just got weird things about it. But all, all of us, as weird as we are, make up one body. And the Bible says because Christ is in us, we get along, right? We don't argue over petty things, do we? And we, we don't argue over petty things. We're not supposed to. And if we do get frustrated, the Bible says we cover it in love. Because anything that happens to us is much less than what we did to Jesus, right? I'm talking about personal. Anything you do to me is much less than what I've done to Christ, offending Him in my sin, Right? So most things are petty to begin with. So we over. So the Bible, Paul argues that in Ephesians for the unity of the peace, the unity of the peace, and the, and the unity of the faith are the bonds of peace. There's nowhere else like it in the world. Hey, go to a workplace where thirty or forty people work together. See if there's unity of the faith and the bonds of peace there. Not because Christ isn't Lord. And now sometimes it's not here, and we have spats, and people get upset, and you get frustrated, and people get ugly. It happens, but it doesn't happen very often. How about number three, service to the body. If they're raised in church like they should be and their parents continue to, to nurture them in faith living, one day they're going to be teaching a Sunday school class or they're going to be a deacon. They're going to learn to serve the body. Without, without faith, without obedience, without, they miss that. So this is what's happened. This is the, these are steps. These are the beginning steps of losing your life to find it. These are the beginning steps of understanding what it means to have the unity of the faith of the bond of peace. These are the first steps of understanding service to one another. These are the first steps of understanding submission to one another. In the body of Christ, now we're not talking about male and female, that's a different story, but in the church, Paul argues that we submit to one another. He says, everybody you look at, and think, if this, is this what the world does? No, this is what the church does. Everybody you see, it's what Romans says this, Paul says in Romans and Ephesians, Everybody I see, I consider better than me. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Everybody I look at and see, the Bible commands me to consider them more important than myself and them better than me. 
so I'm going to serve them. They're, they're better than me. Rather than trying to flip it on and say, let me be at the top, I want to be at the bottom. Folks, that's a world changer. That, that's opposite of the way the world teaches. And then the final thing that's awesome about this, and, and I'm, this is part of me too as a pastor, just love this. I, I, I just baptized five congregants, so to speak. They're learners. I'm going to be their pastor. I mean, they'll be, still be here. I'll be dead and gone. But I'm saying they'll be systematically learning the Scriptures with the rest of us. Doesn't that thrill you to death? That, this is the, see, this is the beginning of the life. What Jesus says, who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son, talking about himself, Jesus. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Folks, what's great about the baptismal waters is this is a reminder of what it's like. This sends me back 45 years to what it was like to publicly confess Christ to a group of people. And I pray that they, the five that were baptized and their families, and I pray you will take your faith in Christ very seriously. Amen? Jesus is coming. Amen? We want to be ready. Amen? Let's stand for our benediction. Thank you. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace and mercy. And oh, Lord, thank you for the stirring of the baptistry waters this morning. Father, I look forward to the discipleship, the leadership, the servanthood. I look forward to growing in Christ with the parents and the discipleship. God, there's nothing like a child's faith. Father, thank you for the ones this morning that have confessed you before this congregation. Now, Father, we are living in the last days. Every day we hear the news, read the news. It's as if we're opening the book of Revelation. We look forward to the return of Jesus Christ for His bride. Oh, come soon, Lord Jesus. And until then, Lord, we're going to tarry in this world and we're going to be soldiers of the cross. We're going to be students of the Word. We're going to be servants in Your church. We love you and we thank you for worship in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday night. All of you.